0: Well, we are going to a tides game tonight with guys and some sons. I know, so I've got some extra free tickets here. So let's, let's do this. Let, let, me, let me do, let's trust them to give away. Somebody who's been here for let's say six months or less and you want a, a free ticket to a game. I've got a ticket for you. Anybody fall into that category? It might take us a little effort to get rid of some of these. Nobody? All right, nobody? All right. How about, how about somebody? How about somebody who on the way here said, man, I forgot they were going to the Tides tonight. I really would like to have a ticket. And God heard your cry, and here I am. Anybody that? No? All right, anybody else who just wants a free ticket to a baseball game? Any of those? I'm telling you, it's a free ticket. All right. I've got eight of them right here. How about some young? How about some young college young professionals? You guys want some tickets? All right. No? Okay. No baseball fans here. I think we got about 40 about forty people that are headed to the game. So there are some tickets. If you were too shy to take one for free, well, I'm going to put them right there and we'll just all look away. And you can sneak up here at the end of the service and, uh, and you can get one. So if you are a single mom, and you're here tonight, and you'd like your son to go, uh, I will take them, him, and uh, feed him and bring him home. So I've got some that are already going with me, but I don't know everybody who's here. And so if, if you know me well enough to trust me with your son, then uh, I'll be glad to fill his belly full of, of uh, hot dogs and soda and, then, uh, and bring him home to you at a very late hour. So, all right, all right. Well, we are in a series on the Holy Spirit. We're in this series all summer. And, uh, you know, just where Vanessa was, was joking about those, those burgers. See, I could buy those burgers, but they would never taste like they did when George, right, comes off the grill because he has a process, right? He's got a special seasoning that he puts on those burgers. He has a thermometer that he puts in every single burger, and he doesn't take those things off the grill until they reach a precise temperature. And then they have to rest for a certain amount of time before he, right? There, there's, a, there's a process that he goes through that, 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 that escapes me, which is why they're so amazing. And, and as she was talking about that, I thought, this is a good illustration for us in this series on the Holy Spirit because sometimes we're in a hurry with the work that God wants to do in our lives. And part of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to speak to us and say, you've got to wait here. God's not done with you yet. I think that's part of what Stephanie was sharing. That was a great word that Stephanie shared with us during the worship set. Sometimes we can fall into this false mindset of if it's not easy, it's not God. And then sometimes there's that place that God has us parked in a place. It feels like the temperature, right, is just getting a little bit too warm. The heat's turned up. And there is a work that the Holy Spirit wants to do in you, and there's a work that the Holy Spirit wants to do in us that sometimes it requires waiting. We had a great time at the altar uh, last Saturday night. If you were here and somebody came up to me at the uh, before the service and said, I was, I was disappointed that when I woke up Monday morning that the thing that I had prayed about at the altar for me to be free from was still there waiting for me, right? Sometimes the deliverance comes in the waiting. Sometimes the freedom comes through us persevering and us striving. And then sometimes there is a place of just God's grace where we're just set free in the moment. But that's not always our story. And I think the reason for that is because sometimes it is through the waiting and the persevering that God is preparing us to keep the ground that he's going to give us at some point in our future. And so all throughout this series, we're going to be tackling themes like that. So, hey, before we get into the message tonight, too, I just wanted to, to remind you that if you're reading through the Bible, in a year with us, that, that we're in Ecclesiastes, and I just want to say it's going to be okay, right? <laughs> Anybody else in Ecclesiastes with your with your Bible reading plan? When I was a young follower of Christ, I was in a discipleship group, and the pastor said, take out your Bible, because we were working our way through Scripture. We got to Ecclesiastes. He said, I want you to take out your pen, and I want you to write on the top of your Bible, don't try this at home, right? And so we all put that there. And so I just want to encourage you, because I was reading Ecclesiastes today, right? It is so stinking <laughs> depressing, right? You're, you're thinking, I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to have my daily devotions. I'm going to be all encouraged, and you're in Ecclesiastes, and you're going to think, it's all meaningless, right? So you just have to remember that Ecclesiastes is given to us as an example of how not to live. Ecclesiastes is given to us. It is the writings of Solomon who gave us also Proverbs, which are amazing. But later on in his life, Solomon forsake his love for God and and traded it in for a love for the world. And I would also go as far to say that his gift became his God. As you read through the book of Ecclesi- excuse me, Ecclesiastes, you find that his gift of wisdom. He talks about this gift of wisdom that he had, that his knowledge and his wisdom is in his gift that God had given to him to serve people had become his identity instead of his relationship with God and his privilege to serve others through the gift that he had been given. And it's a great warning for us that all of us have been given a gift by God. Our identity cannot be tied up in our gift. Our identity's gotta be tied into our relationship with God and the privilege that we have to serve other people. And Ecclesiastes is an important book to us to give us a, a word of caution and a word of warning. Don't be this person. Don't be that person. All right, so... You can make it through. You can make it through. All right, we're in this series on the Holy Spirit, and when we got into the series, we started in 1 Corinthians 16, 22, and the verse says, if anyone does not love the Lord, that person is cursed, which means that they have condemned their life in the here and now, and then it also means that they've condemned their life in eternity because of the free gift of salvation that they have rejected. And then Paul gives us this phrase that says, our Lord come, and those three words are really the foundation of this entire series that we're working through together here at the Newport News campus. Those three words are really the Greek word maranatha, and the Greek word maranatha is a combination of two words that have been put together, and depending on how you write it, because it could be the first grouping, and those two words means our Lord comes, The second grouping means our Lord has come, and there's great debate, and there's great conversation about which one did Paul intend to say, and as a church, what we believe is this is the genius of the language of the Bible, that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to give us this one word, not because we're supposed to choose between which one, but it's both, that this is the message of the gospel, that Jesus has come, He's come, and He died for the sins of the world, and when He raised Himself to life, He conquered sin and death and through a vow of devotion to him that we can be reconciled to God and find a grace and forgiveness that can be found in no other way. And part of the gospel message is also that Jesus is coming back, that he has a place that he's preparing for all of us and that Jesus is going to one day return. Whether that happens in our lifetime or not, part of the hope of his return is that we get to be with him for all eternity. And this is the message of the gospel that God has commanded us through the Great Commission to take into the world in which we live, and that we will not be able to bring that message to the world with any type of effectualness without the work and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's just going to be an empty conversation that falls on deaf ears. But when the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives, then there can be a supernatural result from the effort that we bring in. We want to be a church where a Maranatha is our creed, that Maranatha is our calling, that we want to be a church that brings the message to the gospel, to the world in which we live, and that we are desperate for the work and the power of the Holy Spirit to see it happen. All right, so let's 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 do a little. We like a little participation here. I've got a halls in my mouth, if you're wondering. Anybody suffering from the summer cold this year? Right? Come on, they are just miserable, are they not? Okay, all right. We should have done halls as handouts, handout for tonight for participation, because clearly the baseball tickets were not a big hit. So I should have been handing out some free some free halls. So all right, so let me let me ask this question. So when you hear the word Pentecostal, when you hear the word Pentecostal, what are some things that come to mind? You raise your hand. I'll point to you, and you share, Clem. Snakes, come on. Yeah, come on, be honest. When you hear the word Pentecostal, you have thoughts. You have things that come to mind. Yes, over here in the corner. Fire and brimstone, Tara. Flags, yes, yes, yes. Is it Stephanie or Alan? 50-day people, well done. That's a series that we did, Tyler. Rams. Yeah, the shofar, yeah, yeah. Lively. Yes. That's a euphemism, right? For crazy. For crazy? (laughs) Somebody else. What's a word that comes to mind? When you think of the word Pentecostal, you hear the word Pentecostal. I know you're nervous because I'm walking around. You're like, he's getting close to me. Yes. Speaking in in tongues, spiritual language. We're going to talk about that. Stand. Freedom. Freedom. Nice. Somebody else. When you hear the word Pentecostal, what comes, maybe a feeling. Maybe it's not a description, but maybe something that you feel when you hear the word Pentecostal. What are some feelings? that? Anybody? Hard to yeah, hard to describe. Sometimes it's a, it escapes us a little bit. What does it mean? What does it not mean? Anybody else? When you hear the word Pentecostal. No? All right. So let me give you a definition for what we believe. Well, let me show you this verse by this 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 quote by Max Lucado. It says box-sized gods. You'll find them in a the tight group of people who prefer a god they can manage, control and predict. This topsy-turvy life requires a tame deity, doesn't it? In a world that's out of control, we need a god we can control, a comforting presence akin to a lap dog or a kitchen cat. We call he comes, we pet. He purrs if we could just keep God in his place. I think one of the reasons why there is a, a reticence or there's a reluctance to this idea of, of Pentecostalism, one is because there's just been a lot of misrepresentation of that word. And we're going to talk about that some this weekend, but then a lot next weekend. But I think a lot of it also comes that in our humanity, there's just this fear of God being in a place of total authority over our lives. And in our human nature, we want to do what we want to do, when we want to do, we want to go where we want to go, and this idea of God being in a place of ultimate authority, that the Holy Spirit being the loudest, most dominant influencer over our will, it gives us pause because we feel like that we're going to have to give something up. And what I believe is that anything, and any time, God ever asks us to give something up of our own will for Him, that He's not robbing me of good, he's protecting me from mediocrity. This is my definition for what it means to be Pentecostal that we have an unshakable belief that God still does the impossible, and sometimes he wants to do supernatural things through us, just as he did 50 days after Jesus' resurrection, no longer exclusive. Let me talk about that phrase, no longer exclusive, and then talk about this word Pentecost, which is where we get the word Pentecostal. So Jesus died during the Jewish feast of Passover, right? His death and resurrection fell on on a Jewish feast and there's some symbolism there for us that we're not going to go into tonight. But one of the Jewish feasts came 50 days after Passover, and that's the Feast of Pentecost. Penta means 50, and it's called Pentecost because it's 50 days after Passover. Now, something unique happened during the first Pentecost after Jesus' resurrection, which is why those of us who believe that God is still supernatural today and sometimes wants to use us in supernatural ways, we associate with that day because that's the day that the exclusivity of the work of the Holy Spirit was lifted. You see, John the Baptist was a great evangelist, but he didn't have a supernatural ministry that accompanied his life because that was supposed to begin with Jesus, because Jesus was supposed to be set apart as someone different. And then what you find is that Jesus, through those that he he was leading, specifically the 12 disciples who became the 12 apostles, that there was an impartation of this power that was moving in Jesus' life onto them. And then as you get to, I believe it's in Luke 10, you find that it's not just those 12, but he sends out a group of 72. And there's an impartation of the work of the Holy Spirit that's given to them so that God can use them to move in supernatural ways. Even though the circle is growing, it's still a fixed number. Are you tracking with me? Even though the the group, it goes from Jesus the 1 to the 12 and to the 72, there's still some sense of exclusivity. On the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, that was lifted. And there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on everyone who was there. And as you track through the story of the book of Acts, as we're going to read some of the encounters tonight together, you find that the work and the power of the Holy Spirit came available to all who were willing. And so what we're saying as a church, let's have an appetite that says, God, we want everything that you have for us. We don't want to hold anything back. Whatever you have for me, whatever truth you want me to walk in, whatever experiences you have waiting for me, let me give myself fully and completely to everything that you have. All right, so let's look at a few in Scripture, some examples that we find. Of the working of the Holy Spirit in ways that were dramatic, I want to focus on some that were dramatic. And I, let me let me just tell you a little story for, before we before we get into that, because I, again, I think what happens to us in, in life, and speaking from my own journey, and I think that some of you would agree to that. That sometimes we're just nervous about what God's going to ask us to do. Can right? Can we just be honest? Sometimes we're nervous. I remember when I was 23 years old and I made a vow of devotion to Christ in December of 1990. I was excited to live for God. I was petrified about what He might ask me to do. Right? I remember riding, I worked for the Christian Children's Fund then, and their offices back then were in downtown Richmond. And uh, I remember riding home from work one day, and I saw this person standing on a street corner, and they had the sandwich boards, right, with the big straps and these placards of how people were going to burn in hell on the board. And, and they were kind of screaming on the street corner. And, 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 as a, and I'm, a, I'm just a new, I'm a new Christian. And I'm riding, and I see that, and, and I say, God, I, when I said... My whole life belongs to you. There was a clause in there. I don't know if you saw it. It was really fine print. And it said, as long as you don't ask me to do that, right? As long as, right, have you ever had a conversation like that with God or am I just, am I the only one, right? There's there's a natural fear in us that if I give my whole self to God, and we read some crazy things in the Bible and we think, God, please don't ever ask me to be that person or to do that. There has got to be trust that we have with the sovereign creator of the universe, that he never wants to shame us. He does not want to demean us. He does not want to have a laugh at our expense. He does not want to put us in circumstances and situations where we're going to fail. Now, we might fail in certain circumstances and situations because we kind of took things into our own hands, but he doesn't put us in places because he takes pleasure in seeing us fail. Okay. There has got to be something inside of us. And there was something, because see, as I began to pray that prayer, and as I continued to drive, my conversation began to change. And then what I said is, God, this has been my problem my whole life. I say I'm going to give my whole life to you, but there's always an exclusive, exclusive clause, an exclusion clause. There's a reason I say. But, and so I remember saying, so God, if you're ever going to ask me to wear a sandwich board on a street corner, help me find the courage to obey you in that moment. You with me? Something changes in our hearts, and we say, God, I'm going to trust you with it all. No matter what it is, no matter how you ask me to live my life, and can I just tell you, the only way that we can ever come to that kind of trust through the creator of the universe is through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Our human heart does not have the capacity to trust to that place. So just today, this, this morning, I got up a little bit early and I needed to do some work on my car. I've, I've kind of found this, 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 this uh, resurgence of desire to, to work on my car. And I was thinking about it this morning. I think one of the reasons for it is because some you know, my dad passed away this past uh, November. He was 81, lived an amazing life, was an amazing father and husband. We had only things to celebrate. But some of my fondest memories in being with him were Saturday mornings uh, under a car with a wrench as he was teaching me to do stuff. And so I knew that after he passed. I remember, you know, I need to teach my boys how to change oil and, and and change a tire. And so I got some tools to do that in the fall. And you might be thinking, what about Claire? And, and if you know Claire, you know she doesn't have any interest in that. So make sure you're teaching your boys how to do it. So so so, so so, but this morning I, I, I was out there and uh, my, my power steering was, 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 was acting a little weird. And so I was talking to Alan on Friday, getting some pointers because I, right, I'm one of those guys where next thing you know, things are apart and I don't know how to put them back together. And, and so I'm out there this morning by myself and I'm realizing I find a sense of connection with my dad in those moments. And it's, 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 I feel close to him even though he's not here anymore. And, and, so I, and I use a turkey baster, right? Because that's what you use to get the power steering fluid out because that's what I saw on YouTube. And and so I got the turkey baster shoved down. I asked Vanessa on Friday, do we have an, a turkey baster that I can use? Because it's, I'm going to use it to work on the car, and I don't really want you to baste the turkey, whatever that means, with it after it's got power steering fluid in it. So she said, I've got one. I've never used it. You can have it. And so when I, when I got it, you know, I, I stick it in the, the, the power steering reservoir, and I'm sucking the power steering fluid out. But what I began to realize is that the, the opening for the power steering fluid, it narrows in the turkey baster won't get all the way down in there, and I could only get about half of it out. So in that moment, I think to myself, surely this is good enough, right? I, I really don't need to get the rest of it out of there, right? You, you begin to rationalize, I've done enough already. But then I'm thinking to myself, you know what? That's, I've not done enough, right? If I leave that dirty power steering fluid in there, all the work that I've already done is going to be for naught. So I begin to think, what could I do to get that power steering fluid? out of the reservoir. And I had this brilliant idea. I had this hose from where I had rigged up for my wife in the kitchen because you have those little pumps where you pump out, right, the dishwashing detergent, you know what I'm talking about? And they make them about this big. And so you have to refill that. You have to be a contortionist to get in there. So I you looked at YouTube and found that you can take a tube and take that thing off of there and shove it on the end of there and just drop it into the Costco-sized bucket of Dawn dishwashing detergent. And I had all this hose left over from that project. and I remembered as a kid, somebody teaching me that when you're drinking a soda, if you put your tongue on the end of the straw, you can take the straw out of the cup in the, in the co- the, and the soda doesn't fall out. You're right. It's science. So there I am at my house in my neighborhood with a hose in my mouth. Neighbors walking by. I'm waving. It's down in the power steering reservoir. And I know what they're thinking. This pastor is having a really bad day, right? I don't know what he's drinking, but I'm going to keep moving. So I'm sucking. Now, when you're doing this, you want to pay attention. Because you do not want that power steering fluid to get closer to your mouth than it's supposed to be. And thankfully, that did not happen to me, right? You don't want to cough. You don't want to sneeze, right? I have a cold. You put your tongue on the end of that thing, and you take the tube out. You stick it in the mason jar. You pull your tongue off, and it all drains in. Come on. I did it all today. I know. All right. So why am I telling you that story? Because that moment where I had to make a decision, is this much that I've done, is it good enough? You and I face that decision every day of our lives. I've read enough, I've prayed enough, I've loved enough, I've forgiven enough, I've served enough, I've showed up enough. I shared about it last weekend at both campuses and I'm saying it again. One of the greatest temptations that you and I will ever face in this life is mediocrity. I just don't have to go farther. It's that feeling of me working on my car and saying, surely the fluid that I've gotten out already, I've just gotten out enough. And this series and in this conversation about the Holy Spirit, some of you, the temptation that you're going to face is that, God, I don't want to go that far. I don't want to experience that deep. I don't want everything that's in here. I just want some of the things that I find in your Word. What I've done already, God, I want you to give me permission that I've explored enough, that I've gone far enough, that I've done enough. And we want to be a church that's challenging ourselves and challenging you to say, as long as we have breath, As long as our heart is beating, can we not say, God, I trust you with all of my life and whatever you have for me, I want it. Whether or not I'm comfortable in it, whether or not I feel awkward doing it, whether or not it's something that's new for me, God, if it's in your word, I want it to be in my life. We want that to be the cry of your heart. John 14 four through six. Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him. So he stepped forward to meet him. The last supper has taken place. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. Judas, one of the twelve who has betrayed him, has brought religious leaders and some of the temple guard to arrest him. So he stepped forward to meet them and he said, who were you looking for? He asked, Jesus the Nazarene, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And in parentheses in my Bible, it says Judas who betrayed him was standing with them. And as Jesus said, I am he, they all drew back and they fell to the ground. I love this verse because it is an example that there could be times in our lives where we are in God's presence and we're just overcome by the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit. In that, see, this is one of the things about the story of those that came to arrest him. I don't know about you, but if that had been me, I'd be like, okay, that's enough for me. I'm, I'm going home, right? Where he says, I'm he, all of them, everybody that came to arrest him, they all fell down in the power of his presence, There are times, it hasn't happened often in my life, but there have been times in my life where I have just felt so overwhelmed by the power of God that I knew that if I did not kneel or did not lie down on my face in a moment of prayer, in a moment of worship, that the strength of my legs were not able to bear that moment. Now you've probably been in services like I have where it seems like people are pushing people and that does happen and, and that frustrates me. Because you shouldn't have to manufacture what God wants to do that's genuine. And and as a church, that's one of the things that we believe. We're not going to try to make something happen. God is sovereign, and if he wants to move in someone's life in this kind of way, we find it in his word. We found it in some of our own experiences. But that needs to be between that person and God. We don't need to manufacture it. It's not for attention. It's not for show. And for so many of us, some of the inhibitions that we have when we think about God moving in supernatural ways is because we've seen other people just misread represent who God is. And we don't want to be that church. But we don't want to let those people's misrepresentation rob us of the genuine experiences that he has for us. All right, Acts chapter 10, 44 through 46. It says, even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. This is him ministering at Cornelius's house. It says, the Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles. Because if you study what happened in Acts chapter 2, the the, the power of the Holy Spirit only came upon those who were Jewish. There wasn't an outpouring yet to the Gentiles, or at least that we know of. At least it's not given to us. This is the first scriptural example of that happening for us. The gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out to the Gentiles too, for they heard them speaking in other tongues or spiritual language, which we're going to talk about extensively next week. And this is the part. Sometimes because in what we would call Pentecostal circles, they place so much emphasis on spiritual language that it overshadows so many other manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And right here in this text, it's often used to talk about spiritual language. But there's an and in my Bible, and I think there's an and in your Bible, and it says, and praising God. This is one of the reasons why we worship the way we do at City Life, because we believe that there is a, an expression of praise that wells up inside of us because of who the Holy Spirit is inside of us that we cannot contain it, that there's an excitement, there is an enthusiasm. People say, well, that's just emotionalism. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for emotion. I can't imagine my marriage without emotion. I can't imagine being a parent without emotion. I can't imagine being a pastor without emotion. You don't want me pastoring in your life without emotion. You don't want me showing up at the hospital when someone's sick or dying or you've had given birth to a baby and not come with emotion. You, you don't want me to step into a moment of counseling with you as a married couple and not step into that place without emotion. God has given us the gift of feeling, and it's wonderful. Is there a time for reverence and quietness? Yes, there is. Yes, there is. But when we read in the book of Psalms, we find that there is an expression of worship, where there is dance, where there are instruments. That it's, it's a little bit loud and it's a little bit rowdy and it's a little bit raucous. When you read through the book of Psalms, you find that part of the people of God stepped into a moment of praise that was full of feeling and wonderfully expressive. And we find it right here also in the book of Acts. That when the Holy Spirit came upon them, there was a praise, there was a worship, there was an adoration that just began to fill that room. And we want to be that kind of church. So many people call what we do contemporary worship. I call it contemporary worship sometimes when I'm trying to help people understand who we are because I'm trying to describe it. But really, we're not contemporary. We're ancient. We don't don't want contemporary worship. We want ancient worship. We want worship that we read about in Acts and we want worship that we read about in the book of Psalms. All right, let's do another one. Let's talk about visions. 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 6. Again, these are all examples of, of, of the Holy Spirit manifesting or making His help known or moving on people in supernatural ways. All right, this is Paul writing. He says, this boasting will do no good, but I must go on. I will reluctantly tell about visions and revelations from the Lord. I was caught up In the third heaven. Now, some Bibles render this text as Paul speaking of someone else. And as you take it into the Greek, you find that's literally how it's written. But I agree that the New Living Translation gets it right that Paul's really talking about himself. I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside of my body. But I do know that I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words. Things no human is allowed to tell. That experience is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. I will boast only about my weakness If I wanted to boast, I would be no fool in doing so because I would be telling the truth. But I won't do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message. It's a beautiful text about humility. It's the part where Paul goes on to talk about how God allowed Satan to give him a thorn in his flesh. And it's the great text where we say that his strength is made perfect in our weakness. But before that, Paul talks about this moment where he's in a place where we would assume he's in a place of prayer. Maybe he was in a place of worship and all of a sudden he just felt that he was in a different place. I've had moments like that in my own life. They don't happen all the time. But times where I've just been off to myself and get lost in a moment of worship, sometimes those are places where God speaks to me about things in the church, or sometimes those are places where God speaks to me about things in your life. And sometimes you might get a call from me, or sometimes it might happen here in the the service where I share those things. It's not an everyday occurrence for me, but there are times where I feel like that I am in God's presence and I forget that I'm a part of this world. I'm just saying to you, have an appetite and a longing for things that might not be easily explained. God doesn't want to make you weird. God doesn't want to make you strange. God doesn't want to make you odd. We're going to talk about this next week. Are there strange people in the church? Yes, but they were strange before they became a Christian, right? Right? personalities are part of what makes this world a diversity. The problem that happens in Pentecostalism is is the eccentricity becomes the benchmark for spirituality, and that's a lie. Our personality is not a hallmark for the work that God's doing in our lives. That's character. That's why we talk about the 24 virtues. So many of us are reluctance about have a reluctance about supernatural things because we've just seen weird people do supernatural things. Their oddity is not part of the gift of God. But God loves odd people too. Because he loves you and me. And we're all all odd in our own way. We all have eccentricities in our own way. And so I don't know about you, but I'm glad that God is no respecter of persons. But let's not confuse the strangeness of the personality that that's a hallmark of an oddity of God. When I read about the life of Jesus, he's not strange to me. Did he do amazing things? Yes, he did. But when we read about his life in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and then we read in the epistles that sometimes point back to who Jesus is, there's nothing about him. In fact, when we read about the prophecies in Isaiah, it says just the opposite it says that there would be nothing about his natural man that would draw us to him. Isaiah prophesied that there would be a plainness about the Messiah. I think one of the reasons why it was in there like that is so that we would have a person that we could point to and say, that's not what the Holy Spirit does. That's just part of who that person is. And God loves them all the same. All right, let's do a few more. we we'll to do a couple more? I know I say that, but you really don't have a choice, do you? Now, this is one I was excited about reading this one. I love this story in the Bible. I've never experienced this, but this is one of the ones where I say, God, if this just could happen to me one time in my life, this would be pretty cool, right? Teleportation, yeah. You thought it came up in Star Trek? No, it's in the book of Acts. When they came up out of the water, right? So this is Philip ministering to the Ethiopian eunuch, and he's teaching him out of the book of Isaiah. So they ride along together, they stop, he wants to get baptized, they find some water. Philip baptizes this Ethiopian eunuch in the name of Jesus. He makes this, this, this eunuch makes a vow of devotion to Christ, and it says, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Can you imagine the story that he had to tell? Meanwhile, Philip found himself farther north in the town of Azotus, and he preached the good news there and in every town along the way until he came to Caesarea. Are you tracking with this story? He's baptizing this man. They come up out of the water. He's gone, and he's in a city far away. Yeah. And you know what he does? All right, now that we're here, let's talk about Jesus, Right? Right? Because I'm just saying what I'd be doing is, whoa! you're not going to believe what just happened to me. Are you with me? The text glosses over that like it wasn't even a big deal. Why is that? Because Philip lived his life with an expectation for God to do unexplainable things. They, they're not glossing over because they don't understand what happened. They're mentioning it because the supernatural was a common occurrence amongst the early church. And I think sometimes why it's not so much a regular common occurrence for us is that we've lost our appetite for things that we cannot explain. See, I think that God wants us to live in a place where when things like this happen to us, not that we can't get excited about it, right? Not this whole false humility thing of it. it's like, right? We can be excited, but we shouldn't be surprised because there should be an expectation that the God of this book is the God of my life and he's the God of today. All right, let's go to Acts 13. Acts 13. But Elemus, the sorcerer, his name means, as his name means in Greek, which it means the sorcerer, interfered and urged the governor to pay no attention to what Barnabas and Saul said. He was trying to keep the governor from believing. And Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he looked the sorcerer in the eye, and then he said, You son of the devil, full of every sort of deceit and fraud, an enemy of all that is good. Things you don't want someone to say to you at a church service, right? Will you never stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? Watch now, for the Lord has laid his hand of punishment upon you, and you will be struck blind. You will not see the sunlight for some time. Instantly, a mist and darkness came over the man's eyes, and he began groping around, begging for someone to take his hand and lead him. When the governor saw what had happened, he became a believer. Well, of course he did, right? For he was astonished, listen to what it says, at the teaching about the Lord. It doesn't say that he became a believer because he was afraid of what happened to Elymas. It doesn't say that that he became a believer because he was frightened by the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. He became a believer because of Paul's teaching about the Lord. That there was an anointing on his teaching in bringing the gospel, this creed, this ministry of the Maranatha that Jesus has come and he's coming again. But in this moment of ministry, there is a moment of prophetic power. Now, different people have different ways that they explain this text, and I'll share you mine. You can decide for yourself whether or not you agree with it, or you might come to a conclusion on your own. Some people teach that Paul in that moment, that that, that he moved almost magically, and that he did something to this man in the name of Jesus. I don't believe that's what happened. I believe, as I read this text, and as I hold it in the context of the rest of the Bible, that God was getting ready to do something to this man, and he told Paul what it was going to be. It's a moment of prophetic power that there was a prophecy. There was an insight into what God was about ready to do to this man Elimus, and that he gave Paul some advance notice so that he could declare it just before it came into being. And when there are moments of prophetic power in, in situations and in circumstances like that, that there is a stirring of the Spirit of God in that place, and sometimes it's that kind of stirring that helps bring someone else to a place of revelation. The Bible says that no one can call Jesus Lord but by the power of the Holy Spirit. And and so in this moment, what we see Paul ministering under the power of the Holy Spirit, that his teaching that he had given, that there was revelation in the governor because the Spirit was stirred in that moment. May it also be for us. All right, let's do one more. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 8. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of all of them. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. Come on, that's a good phrase. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice, and to another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. I remember when I went on my first podcast, uh, pastoral team uh, in 1999 at Mechanicsville Christian Center, the church I was at for 17 years before coming here. It was the church where I made a vow of devotion to Christ and experienced the baptism in the Holy Spirit, which I'm going to talk about next week, my own Pentecostal encounter. It's the place where all of our children were born, not in there, but you know what I mean. And uh, and so it's where Vanessa, and we were the first wedding in the new church. We had so many amazing memories at that church for all of those years. But one of the, one of the memories that I have early on as a as a pastor being on staff is that we had what was called the pastor of the day. It was a large church, some fifteen hundred people, and so you took a rotation. And any any calls that would come into the office or hospital visits that had to be done, that you did that by way of a, of a rotation. So I, we called it the POD, the pastor of the day. And so I was the POD for that day, and there was a call that came into the receptionist that said I need to speak to a pastor. And so they sent it back to my office, and so I answer the phone. And and, and some of you have heard this story before. And the very first thing that she says is if if a person kills themselves, will they go to heaven? All right? Now, that's a weighty question to get. And in that moment, because I know she's asking for herself, you with me? And so, I'm praying quietly to myself, God, give, give me what I need to share with this woman so that she's not going to take her life today. So, we begin talking and having a conversation, and, and, and pretty quickly she gets to a place where she's willing to talk about not her as if it's somebody else, but she's opening up. But she does not give me her name. She doesn't give me any information about who she is. Just about her feelings of depression and feeling like it's her Ecclesiastes moment. Life is meaningless. So I'm just going to to check out. And so uh, I I feel like I get to a place. I, I ask her several times, "Would you be willing to share with me your name, or or maybe give me your number so I can call back?" Right. I'm thinking of any way that I could 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 anything I could say to get her to give me some information so. So we could get somebody to her in case she was going to hang up that phone and take her life, but she wouldn't give me a thing, wouldn't give me a, nothing, nothing. So at the end, she let me pray with her and I hung up the phone. And as soon as I hung up the phone, God spoke to my heart who this woman was. I'm not kidding you. Just in that moment, boom, it was so-and-so. Now she didn't come to the church, but her family did. And I just knew, I just, I knew that God was speaking to me. And I, I just knew, I knew there were, and there was nothing, nothing of deduction. It was just, it was, it was just supernatural. So I went to the receptionist and I, and, and, and I say, can you call so-and-so and get me their daughter's phone number? Right? Don't tell them why. Just say, Pastor Fred wants to reach out to your daughter. So they called this family and the family gave me that number. I called that lady. She answers the phone and I say, hey, this is Pastor Fred from Mechanicsville Christian Center. We just had a conversation with each other. I'm telling you, her whole world changed in that moment. Right? She was at church the next weekend, rededicated her life to Christ. We were able to get her professional help, and she began to find a— I have no idea where she is today. I don't know what's going on, but I do know in that moment she entered into a season of hope because God revealed himself in such a profound, supernatural way. Now, that's the only time in my life. You can clap for that. Where something like that so profound has has, has happened to me. And maybe it's not going to ever happen again. But can I tell you this? It caused an appetite to be birthed in me that God wants to do things that we cannot explain. And I want to be a part of those stories as often as he would choose to allow me to be in them. But I believe with all of my heart that if we walk through life like this, holding him at arm's length, that one day when we breathe our last and we get to there, I think God's going to show us some of the moments that we missed because we were afraid. If there is anything in this series that speaks to you, may it be that you have a Maranatha calling on your life. God wants to use you to tell people in this world that Jesus has come and that he's coming again. And sometimes he wants to do it in supernatural ways. Stand with me as we pray. Father, as as we open up your word, open us up. As, As we turn those pages, turn the pages in us. Help us, God, to not settle in a place of complacency. Father, I believe that there are some people that are here tonight and they're just satisfied with the life that they have because it's good. Father, I pray that there would be an unsettling in their heart, not, not through circumstance, but by way of appetite that some of the stories that we've read in your word, some of the stories that we've shared out of our lives, maybe the, the, the message that Stephanie brought in the worship set, maybe it was a certain song that, that we sang tonight as Chris led us so wonderfully in that time of worship. Maybe it's in a moment of prayer. Maybe it was just during the greet time or the baby dedication that something of tonight stirred in the heart of a person To say, God, I trust you. And I want the more that you have for me. I want the more that you have for me. Don't let me stay complacent. In Jesus' name, come on. And everybody said together, amen. We'll see you next week.